This podcast is for Sunday, September the 28th. It is an abbreviated version of the regular service for this day. The format for this podcast will start with a hymn, followed by scriptures, followed by the sermon, and then prayers and a closing hymn. Good morning. Our opening hymn is number 503, O Jesus, I Have Promised. from Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and for another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire, 
in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and their fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not part from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Hirshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with, the, with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possessions of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, 
they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to the law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the, your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. This is the word of the Lord. The first reading is from Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and their fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. 
They refuse to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not part from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Hirshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with, the, with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possessions of houses full of good things cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to the law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, 
he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the, your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. This is the word of the Lord. The psalm is from the fifth chapter of Psalms. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, and hate you hate all evil do, evil doers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Make them bear their guilt, O, Lord, o God. Let them fall before their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteousness, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. The second reading is from 1 John, the first chapter. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel for today is from St. John, the 21st chapter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loves therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let me interrupt at this time to say that at the end of the sermon, there will be an opportunity for you to participate in an activity. If you would like to do so, please have a sheet of paper handy, numbered 1 to 10, and respond to the questions that Pastor asks. All right, so last week, uh, Deaconess Olenicek shared a sermon about the very first topic in this 40-day challenge, a topic about sin. And uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, her doing that on a Sunday means that I get to enjoy a beautiful vacation with my wife and sons and other friends in, in Mexico. It was great. So oh, I'm so in debt. During our small groups this last week, many were asked a question or a couple of questions. Here they are. How would you feel if someone said to you, sinner? What would your response to that be? Well, my thoughts about those two questions when they came up during the work is first, I'd feel ashamed, I'd feel sad, I don't like the fact that I'm a sinner. It just bothers me in ways that's hard to describe. The second part is, I'd agree to 100%. <laughs> I say, you're right, I am. My thoughts, words, deeds, my motives, they are sinful. They miss the mark that I have intended for my life. I miss well, that was week one. This week, we talk about what we do after we sin. Actually, I'll just come right out and ask you this question just for you to consider. Don't answer it for everybody else to hear. What do you do after you've been confronted with the fact that you have just sinned or that you are sinning? What do you do about it? One common response to sin is that the, the people around us, even ourselves, we deny it. 
You know, you can tell yourself that what God commands or what Jesus teaches about sin, well, it's, it's not sin to you. You can tell yourself that God's commands about sin is, is just not a big deal. It's, it's how you are made, and you're just being yourself after all. You can then go and find some people who would agree with you. You can find people who are saying, you just do you. Do that. Be you. You're perfect. We like you just as you are. Sadly, you could probably find a church under the name of Jesus, believe it or not, that will tell you that there's nothing wrong with your sins. What else could you do? You can blame others. Oh, that's common. Think about it. It's even how the book starts. Adam blamed Eve and then the Lord afterwards. And then Eve, well, she blamed the serpent. From that day on, brothers and sisters have been blaming each other for everything. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's their fault. I wouldn't have done this except they, or, well, they started it. You can try to cover the sin up. You can try to keep your sin a secret. All that said, know this. Any response outside of bringing it to Jesus in confession means that you're becoming imprisoned. Here's why. Deep down, you know that you're guilty. Even if you can convince the other people that your sin is, is okay, that even if you manipulate the world around you to accept that the sin is no longer a sin, you know that with God, you're still not okay. And so any pursuit of denying it, of blaming it, of covering up, of legalizing it, normalizing it, or even rationalizing it away, in the end, it will keep you a slave. You will be in bondage to your sin. God's truth, God's kingdom, God's sovereign authority, it is perfect and it will not change. Sin-inspired guilt will eventually turn into shame. Time spent in that lie, that it, that's the opposite of heaven. That is a dark depressed, shallow, lifeless place of enslavery. There is another option. You can bring it to Jesus. The word we use today is confession. You can honestly and humbly confess your sinfulness to Jesus and with him discover a healing for your wounds scars. Last week, we dug into the first S of that list, sin. Today, we talk about confession. I think that many of us come into the room with an idea of what confession is. We have something in our minds about that. You might think that confession, you might, first thing that comes to my, your mind might be a confession booth with a priest on one side, a divided partition, and a seat on the other. Others might think of confession as, as a, a canned set of words that you say sometime during a Sunday service that ends with the pastor speaking on behalf of the Lord that your sins are forgiven. A definition of confession is simple. A confession is a formal statement admitting that one is guilty of a crime. 
confession. Maybe you think of a modern-day courtroom with someone who has been accused, a criminal, finally admitting their sin. And while I have no issues whatsoever with formal confessions, today I want you to see that God is less interested in how you formally come to him, but simply that you come to him. Honestly. Humbly. It is possible that for some, the modern day formal ways that that the church presents to come to the Lord, to make confession, they might seem like they're a scary thing or maybe something that they dread or something that would be embarrassing. The reality of confession is that it, it is a beautiful invitation, an invitation from God to us that ultimately results in freedom. Confession at the end of the day is not meant for you to feel worse about yourself. It is meant to lead you right into the arms of Jesus. For when you realize that you are weak, you will see that Jesus is strong. And that's what we want to leave with today. We continue to dive into the story of Peter and this Jesus and his disciples after the resurrection. So we'll go back to the story now. Last week, we remembered how Peter denied Jesus. He denied him three times. Luke's account tells us that this is what happens after the, the, the denial. Luke chapter 22. The Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. And then, then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, Peter, you will disown me three times. Peter went outside And he wept bitterly. Friends, I can't imagine the guilt that Peter must have experienced. I can't imagine how many tears he shed in his own place, wherever he found himself after those denials. He truly let down someone who had invited him to follow him and to include him into three and a half years of ministry who had believed in him and entrusted into him his most precious possession, his church. With his three denials of knowing Jesus, Peter's story was over, right? He messed up. He denied his Lord and his friend. After that, Jesus dies. And Peter will now have to live with what he did, that last experience with his Lord, for the rest of his life. (laughs) Except for the fact that Jesus is really good at writing stories with twists and turns. No one tells Jesus when and what the final chapter will look like. In Mark 16, verse 7, the resurrection account, an angel of God, remember that angels are the personal, powerful messengers for God himself. An angel tells the two Marys at the tomb, go, tell the disciples, and Peter... Tell everyone, right? But make sure Peter knows the story. Make sure that Peter knows that I'm alive, that this isn't over. Jesus, having just completed his universal victory over sin, death, and the evil one, he is now thinking and remembering and offering grace to an individual. And imagine Peter as he hears the good news. 
I wonder what's going on in his mind at the time. You know, the longer, I know just from my experience, the longer that I sit in unconfessed sin, the longer I feel guilt, and the deeper and darker my mind and thoughts and guilt can go. On one hand, Peter was excited because his good friend, his, his leader, his Messiah had been risen. He was alive. But I also wonder if he thought these thoughts. I wonder if Peter thought in his head, can Jesus ever forgive me? Will he ever want to speak to me again? What will Jesus say to me? Will, will he disown me? We'll find out by going to the place we'll be visiting for the next four weeks. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon says. We'll go with you, they answer. They go get in a boat, and that night they catch nothing. You know, this is just a pause. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. For all the talk about Peter and these guys being fishermen, you know, they come from a family of fishermen and a history of being fishermen. Why is it every instance that we read of Peter being a fisherman, he can't catch a fish? In the gospel books, Peter doesn't catch a fish without Jesus's help. You know, if we were business people giving him consulting advice, we might say that, thank God Jesus has come into your life and said to follow him because you have no future as a fisherman. The story continues. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? They answered, no. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Something in that moment clicked. This isn't the first miracle like this that's happened in their lives. Jesus recreated the first time that he ever met Peter. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon heard him say that, it's the Lord. He wrapped himself in his outer garments and he jumps into the water and he goes to shore. And we might think putting clothes on before jumping into the water, how does that serve Peter? It doesn't. But what it reveals is Peter's excitement. If that's Jesus and he's over there, I want to get to him. I don't care if I look like a fool or if I'm soaking wet when I get there. That's Jesus, and I'm going to do anything and everything so that I can get back to him. I love what's being displayed in his, his, his attitude and his mentality as he just jumps and he's wet. Peter's attitude is so against what we normally teach or hear at church. There's been times I've heard this before church, like before I was serving a church, and actually after having served as a pastor, I hear people say this occasionally, that in order for you to come to church, you really got to wear your Sunday's best, your best clothes, you bring your best to God. After thinking about this story, no you don't. 
Peter wore his work clothing after a long night of work. It's now lake-soaked work clothing. He is a wet mess as he approaches and sits near Jesus. I've also heard people say that you need to get your, your life and your act all cleaned up before going to church and approaching a holy God. No, you don't. Jesus receives Peter just as he was. He receives us messy, sinful, battered, and soaking wet messes. What we see in the gospel story is that Jesus cares less about how we come to him, but that we come to him. John 21, 8, 9. The other disciples following in the boat, towing the fish, they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Brings up charcoal. In a lot of the artwork with this challenge, you'll see little charcoals and little flames coming off. Charcoal. It's only used twice in the Bible, that word. The first time is when Peter denies Jesus three times, and now a second time where Jesus is cooking fish over an open charcoal fire. Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Beer climbs back in the boat, drags the net ashore, full of fish, 153. Even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus then says, come and have breakfast with me. In ancient times, to eat with somebody meant that you were inviting them into an intimate relationship, a fellowship of your protection and your provision and your service to them. Revelation 3.20 says this, the Lord says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with, with, with that person and they will eat with me. There will be fellowship. But to eat a meal with someone who has done you wrong... That is a gracious gesture of forgiveness. Peter, I've made a fire. I've cooked a meal. I'm willing to reconcile. I'm here to do reconciliation. I'm not holding anything against you. Let's eat. The disciples and Jesus eat, and now is the time we're going to get a little more personal. Jesus is going to address Peter personally. 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answers, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, Jesus says. Take care of my sheep. A third time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. What do we see happening here? We see three times Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Three times. Why three? 
because there was not one, not two, but three denials. Each question is meant to forgive Peter of the sins he committed. Now that said, I myself wrestling with this exchange because nowhere in this final exchange, these form or this, this exchange with them are the formal words. The words that we even teach our children about confession, right? You know, when, when you're wrong, you're supposed to say, I'm sorry. If you've done something to hurt somebody, I'm sorry, and how can I make it right? Will you forgive me? We even teach our kids, you need to march over there and tell them you're sorry, right? And they trudge over there, I'm sorry. They trudge back. In those moments, do you think your kids actually mean it? No, if they were like my sons, they normally don't. They're just going through the motions because mom or dad made them. My mom would say the same thing about me and my sister, so it's not just my guys, it's everybody. I bring this up because we would expect in the practice of confession from our life stories that we would hear in this confession exchange the words from Peter saying, Lord, I am so sorry. Lord, please forgive me. After all you've done in my life, after all you've shown me in your life, after all you have included me to seeing your, your divinity even, I have denied you. Oh, God, how horrible. But what do we get from this guy? Hmm. So what do we learn from Peter's silence? You know, of course, Peter was sorry. His sorrow goes way back to when Jesus looked directly at him and he realized what he'd done and he left and he wept bitterly. I'm sure he replayed that scenario in his mind over and over again for those days. And when we see him responding to Jesus after the third question, we see Jesus or we see Peter grieving. You know, I still wrestle with this for a while. Where's the confession? There's still no confession. In all of those words, there is no confession. We've been taught that we're supposed to come to God all dressed up and ready to go. We're supposed to come to God with the right words. None of that is here. Confessions. Peter's known for his confessions. I would argue up to the point that Peter has the single best confession in the New Testament. Well, arguably, Thomas has a pretty good one, too, after the resurrection. And he also has the worst confession. The best confession is this. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The worst confession has to do with this fishing miracle. Again, they've been out fishing all night. They catch nothing. Or actually, the first miracle, they were out all night fishing, they caught nothing. And when Simon Peter saw that Jesus had blessed him with the miracle, he falls on his knees before Jesus and he says, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. That's a horrible confession. Horrible confession. He got the first part right, I'm a sinful man. But you never tell the Son of God who came to die on the cross for you that, to go away, because if, if he does that you're in trouble for eternity, right? You've just dismissed the one who would forgive you your sins. So now that he has great and horrible confessions, 
What do we see in the story here about Peter? A man who's normally never afraid to speak. He just blurts stuff out all the time. I believe that when Peter ran up to the shore, when he saw the charcoal fire, the denial scene that had been running in his mind, the worst night of his life was replaying over and over in his mind. The people, the questions, the answers they made, the overwhelming ashamed and, and just disgrace he has in his life. All that has been raging in his mind and in his heart for days. And I believe that when he finally gets into the presence of Jesus, that Peter, for the first time in the gospel record, he has nothing to say. And for me, knowing his story and who he is, what's most telling about this story is his silence. His silence speaks volumes about what's going on in his heart. Something about being too deep for words. At this we know this, God knows our hearts. He's ready to hear your confession but God can, and, and God can cut through some of the deep stuff even when you don't have the words to express it. When you can't express your sorrow, your regret, he can look down even deeper into your heart. He knows your sorrow. He sees your tears. And rather than trying to come to God all dressed up like everything's okay, I'm okay and you're okay, and wanting to speak just the right words in just the right posture, what if you just come to God in silence and say, here's my heart? While we don't have the words of an actual confession in Peter, we finally have Peter's concession. I've got nothing to say. Now we're going to end a sermon time today with an activity and it requires us being honest at church? Imagine that. It will be totally anonymous. You are not to write your name on a paper, and as you write, write like it's the most secret thing you've ever written that no one around you will ever be even have a hint, even if they're peeking, to look. Right? That kind of secret. I want you to find in front of you, there's going to be folded half sheets of paper. They're white papers. They've been cut now, if you don't have people sitting in front of you, they're going to look like this. You don't have people in front of you, I got to give these to you. There's two, one for each. Every chair in the front has one. And if, there, if there's no little uh, pocket in the chair, look into the green hymnal. There'll be one tucked in that little green hymnal for you. We thought about this in advance. All right, so everybody has one of these. Again, we're going to go through this. These questions are personal. I already know this. They are personal to me. They're invasive. Yes, we are in space that normally no one, it's intrusive. And some of these are really scary and some might reveal things that you have never shared. No one's going to see this. Your name will not be on this. There's no tie back to you. The only one's going to see this is you and God. Got it? Great, we're confident in that. First question is this, have you ever lusted after something or someone that wasn't yours? Answer that, circle it, either yes or no. Can I have a pen? Is there a pen nearby? I need to do this as well. 
Circle yes or no. And now go through the rest of them as quickly as you can. Have you ever thought harmful thoughts about someone who sinned against you? Do you have anything in your life that you're constantly ashamed of? Yes or no? Have you ever cut yourself or intentionally harmed yourself? Yes or no? Have you ever physically, verbally, or sexually abused someone else? Yes or no? Number six, have you ever abused drugs or alcohol? Yes or no? Have you ever thought about or attempted suicide? Yes or no? Have you ever had sexual relationship outside of marriage? Circle yes or circle no? Are you doing anything wrong that you can't quit? Circle yes or circle no. Have you refused to share God's gifts with others who are in need and you've known it? Yes or no? Now, secretly, fold it in half. That's one fold. Fold it in twice. That's the second time of denial. Fold it a third time. Get it nice and small. We'll honor the three denials and the three forgivenesses. Fold it three ways. No one can have a clue about this. Ushers, I need your help. You're going to take these papers, and you're going to drop them in the bowls. So, guys, can you get those? Um, there's two guys back there. They're going to have some containers. Throw your papers in the containers. Again, your name's not on this. No one's going to know it's you. It, we don't even want to know who this is. We're not going to look at it. All right? As quickly as you can, put those papers in the bowls. That way we don't spend too much time on this. All right, papers in the bowls, papers in the bowls. And we're like collecting an offering of sins right here. <laughs> Actually, that's going to happen in just a few moments when we're all done with this exercise and we're going to have a time of offering. Not only today, place your, the cards that say your name and your prayer requests and not only place into that, that offering plate that has your tithe and your offering, your way of thanking the Lord with your, 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 your gifts like that, but we're also going to put these papers and we're going to bring it all before God, okay? It's part of our symbolic acts today. Okay, we got these things going. All right, can you guys meet in the middle? Take a look. If, if, nine, if you see nine, or 10 circles over the yeses, stand up and stay standing. So if I'm sitting, so if, if, if all 10 are circled yes, stand up. So I've got a paper that has all 10 circled. If nine are circled, stand up. If nine yeses are circled, stand up and stay standing. If eight yeses are circled, stand up. If seven yeses are circled, stand up. If six yeses are circled, stand up. If five yeses are circled, stand up. If four yeses are circled, stand up. Three, stand. Two, stand. One, stand. As I can look out right now, I only see three people that have all of them circled no. Sometime in the next months or years, you need to talk to me because it's almost impossible to answer these questions without having at least one of them circled yes. If you do so, you're denying it, you're pretending it doesn't exist, or you've not examined yourself completely, right? This is a yes category. Now, I want you to take a look around. Seriously, just look around, all these different faces. Sinners, look around. Now, friends and fellow sinners, if you thought you were alone, 
you are not alone. If you thought you were not welcome into God's house because you are a sinner, know that you are welcome. If you thought there was no hope, there is. If you thought you could never be honest, you can. If you thought this was a church full of perfect people, you've been using way too many drugs. <laughs> this is not a place for perfection. This is a place where the sinners come. If you thought this was a church full of forgiven people, it is. If you want more, if you want freedom, you can have it. It's found in Jesus. If you thought Jesus was interested in condemning you, he is not. If you thought the church could ever be a safe place for someone like you, it is. This church is. We will not be church perfectly. We will mess up and bump into each other all the time. But we will never quit pursuing God. And if you aren't interested in being a part of a church where people like that can hang out, well, now you know what you got. After service today, you can go on your search for a church full of perfect people. And when you come up empty, know that our arms will be wide open and we will always welcome you back. You can come back wet, sloppy, a mess. We don't care how you come. We just care that you come. Confession, here's the real truth about confession. God doesn't care how you come to him, just that you come to him. It's bigger than coming to God and formally saying the right words. Confession is an invitation just as you are. Come home. Come to Jesus. Be honest, be forgiven, and be free. Jesus did not do all that he did so that we could remain enslaved. Let the guilt go and be free. God, help us be that confessing free church. Amen. Let us declare our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We give joyfully because God has first given, because we have a need to give, and because others have a need to receive. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blue, blue.
The hymn of the day is Just As I Am Without One Plea, number 296. Wow. 